And now, another cup of... The London Fog. Okay, now we're recording. We had to restart. Leah was dying for a hot second. Yeah, the cough, the cough was bad. I was talking about my dreams of a boob job. You guys didn't really need to know about that. But now we're ready to start talking. But you know, if you have... If thoughts about that feel free yeah. to email in. Give me some notes and some pointers. I don't know anything about it. Don't know if it's really what I want. Uh, I don't think so. Like, I can't decide. I don't know. But I feel like it's something you have to like well, wait and really know. It's a lifelong decision. While I was talking about emails briefly and you were thinking about your boobs. Yes. Um, <laughs> I was going to say that last year... We had some people, when we first started podcast, they went onto iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called, and they left reviews. Yes! And we haven't had any reviews in a while, even though we have way more listeners. So, yeah. this is my little plug for, if you like listening to us, write some reviews about how much you like it. Or if you hate it, write a review about how much you hate it, because you're still listening, and that's it's what we... It's <laughs> true, and if you hate it that much, I mean, pu- publicity of any kind, good or bad. Yeah. Donald Trump has proven that. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Especially after this week. Oi. Anyway. But it's a new week. A new week. British-y goodness. Yes. I have so much to say. Well, wait. Okay. Wait. What what are we going to (laughs) do? We know how to plan. It's only been a year. But we've really figured this one out, guys. Well... Because I know we were trying not to focus so much on royal stuff, but so much royal stuff happened this weekend. Well, I feel like we need to do like a little catch up. That's what I think you are good for. I have a little nugget piece of just good old trivial knowledge that I think we all should know. And then we can get on to our topic. Okay. But I have royal news and then I have something funny that leads into our topic. So we can... Perfect. Well, you go, I go, you go. Okay. So... Boom. This weekend, this last weekend, were the Wimbledon finals. Ooh, I did not know that. That's how much I watch tennis. Whoops. Well, I can't believe you didn't know that because I don't watch tennis at all, and I definitely knew I that. I have been busy. Um, <laughs> was that a wedding? <laughs> so. Packing. <laughs> on Saturday, it was the Wimbledon women's final. So, the Duchess of Cambridge nice. and um, her sister Pippa... And the Duchess of Sussex all went together. Oh, fun! And it was like they outing. had a really fun time. Um, it was kind of funny because, like, I don't know. I guess you would just expect sisters to sit next to each other, no. but it was actually like Kate, Megan, and then Pippa. Like Megan was in the yeah. middle, so kind of cute. <laughs> but um, yeah, they had a really good time. Obviously, I don't know if everyone knows this, but Serena Williams is one of Megan's like best friends. She threw her baby shower and everything. Aww. And so, so she was playing. It was a little bit funny because people were complaining because um, the Kensington Royal Instagram and the Sussex Royal Instagram both like posted photos from them going. Mm-hmm. And the Kensington Royal, I think, like congratulated the winner who was not Serena unfortunately yeah but it's an, a fairly newcomer girl I don't remember her name but it was her first time winning um, yeah but then the Sussex Royal like mentioned who was playing but they didn't mention who won and so people were like oh just because Serena's her friend she can't congratulate the other winner but I don't think that's what was really happening but it's just kind of funny like the way people read into their Instagram posts you know I mean, maybe I don't know, but. if it was my friend, I probably wouldn't be like, 
congrats, other person, that you won and you beat my best friend. <laughs> well, I mean, but Serena's won it so many times yeah, before. Yeah, that's a good point. You know what I mean? Like, it's this girl's first time, so I think everybody is happy for her. But, um, yeah, so they went together, and they had a great time, and they were laughing and talking. So all you people who think they're not friends, obviously they're besties. Um, <laughs> I think it's fine. And then um, on Sunday was the men's final, and Kate is a patron of the like Royal Tennis Association or mm-hmm. whatever, and it was her first time presenting the um, trophy, Yay! which was really funny because it was um, Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer were yeah. playing. And it was kind of the same thing. Like, Roger Federer is actually, like, friends with Will and Kate. Like, he's taught George how to play tennis. Like, Stop. You know, and, <laughs> and he lost. So Kate had to, like, give the trophy to the to Nadal, which I'm sure, you know, yeah. whatever. But it was funny because there's, like, a funny photo of her, like, patting Roger on the shoulder. <laughs> like, it's okay, buddy. Sorry, you didn't win. But, you can uh, always teach my kids how to play tennis. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's like... Of course, you're the future king of England. Of course, Roger Federer yeah. is the one who teaches you to play tennis. Um, Ooh, if you were a royal and about to be the future queen of something, um, who would you have teach you to do anything? Um, oh, that is a good question. I don't know. I don't know that there's anybody who's like... There's any like skill oh. that I would want to... Well, because are you talking like... I'm talking to anybody. I'm saying... No, but I, I think... mean, like, now as an adult? Or you mean if I had been born as a child, like oh, Elizabeth? I, either I... or. Either or. I'm thinking right now, if, like, I became Megan, I think... And I could become friends with that person and on their good side. I would definitely want Gordon Ramsay to, like, come over and teach me how to cook, like, amazing things. Okay. I was thinking maybe have Hilary Hahn teach me to play the violin. <gasps> Ooh. See, like, things like this, yeah. you know? And what, like, musicians or artists or whatever, you know? But then it's like, is it is it worth it for them? Yeah, because they're, like, I mean, really, is it, like, Serena Williams? I mean, they were friends on, like, a different level, but now Serena's all, like, bitch, like, she's practically a princess, so, and now they're, like, besties, and, like, it raises your status. Yeah. Are they getting tons out of it? Is, like, how do you pronounce his last name? Federer? Federer. Federer. Is he getting anything out of teaching George how to play tennis? Nothing. But the fact is, is he's like, teaching. I taught the future king. Right? And he's like friends with the royals. I think it's just like by association that's like your payment, your fulfillment. Yeah, maybe. I like it. Violin playing, cooking. Or you know what? What's, What's his enough? name? Oh, crap. I can't remember. Barishnikov? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I will be a dancer. Um, <laughs> no, things like that. That's what I'm talking about. People just be like, they would love to do it. Yeah. Just to be associated and then be like, I'm teaching my my art onto like the royals. Dang, I'm doing it wrong. I need to like get over there to England and become like the best singer in the world and then just teach like Charlotte singing lessons. That would make my life and I would never have You're to get so paid sexist. for it. You don't think that Louis can be an opera singer? Only women, huh? No, just kidding. I mean, because you are a woman. I think it would be easier. easier to teach Charlotte, but I mean, Louis, if he wants, I will give him my card. <laughs> Um, but there is one other fancy event that happened on Sunday. Okay. Which was Megan and Harry went on a date 
to the Lion King premiere. I saw that picture! And Megan met Beyonce. I know. Which was amazing because I've never seen photos of Beyonce looking like so excited to meet someone. I know. Like, Beyonce doesn't get excited no. to meet people. People are excited to meet, meet her. Beyonce. <laughs> Beyonce is in, so in love with herself. She really thinks, I think, that she is a deity, a deity in like incarnate. Like, I love Beyonce. Praise. I She's a favorite. A favorite, but at the same time, there is only so much that ego. Like I have to take her in small scoops, yeah. Because anymore, like the ego just can sometimes kill me. Um, but in those moments, she was like enthralled. It was like it finally was like a switch of like a little bit more humble Beyonce meeting like an also equally ecstatic Harry and Meghan. Well, it was and a beautiful also moment. like. Jay-Z, like, looked happy to be meeting Harry. I was like, I've never seen him look happy. (laughs) Like, what? So that was pretty cool. And they met, their their daughter was there, Blue Ivy was there, and there are some photos of her meeting Harry and Meghan, which is really sweet. Because if you think about it, you know, I mean, Meghan is half um, African-American and just kind of, I think it's like a new generation kind of seeing, I know everybody's been up roar about this, like not my aerial thing. I mean, can is that be more idiotic? But having like little black girls being like, I can be a princess too. I mean, and she literally is, she's like, she's right there married to a prince. Like yeah. it's just really exciting to see. And I thought it was really sweet. Super sweet. Anything else on that forefront? Um, not on Can we just days. describe for the people for a second where we're recording right now and oh. what it looks like? So... We're not at my apartment today. Yes. We're at Leah's house. Which is in the middle of being packed up. Yeah. There are boxes everywhere. Our microphone is on top of a box. <gasps> paper I box. I don't have any chairs <laughs> to sit on. So, yeah, we're on the couch with a paper box. Hovering over the mic. To be our table. Yeah. (laughs) And my house is also easily the same state because I'm moving out of my place this week. Leah is moving out of state. I'm moving just like a local move. But if anybody knows or wants to send their sympathies, just like comment on our last Instagram pic of how much you also hate moving. (laughs) Because it's the worst. I mean, crap just starts coming out of the corners that you never knew was there. Like, I don't understand that just so much. But talking about things that have been there forever, that leads me into my my little trivial note I'm of news. Of this piece of news. Um, <laughs> Betty's, a famous Yorkshire tea room, reaches a hundred year birthday. Aww. Super sweet. So Betty's is a little tea shop in Yorkshire. It opened right after World War One, and even served during World War Two. even though sugar and flour were pretty scarce in the UK. But it has been ter- uh, serving teas and cakes for over 100 years. It now boasts six cafes around the county. Hmm. and But its original is still there. It was founded by a Swiss baker and chocolatier Fritz Bützer, who left his home and country and came over as just a child himself. He was orphaned and opened what is called Betty's. Uh, When he first opened it in Harrogate in 1919, 
No one knew what Betty's came from or who Betty had been, but he decided it was a really British name and because he was afraid of not making enough money coming over as Swiss, he decided to sell it as something British. And now, <laughs> now it is. It's a British staple. And they just celebrated 100 years. So if you find yourself in Yorkshire, go and visit. I thought it was pretty sweet, pretty cute. We need a little happy thought. That's pretty cute. All right. I like it. Um, I have a few funny things. So I looked up some British history, just like what happened on this day. Cool, cool. So the first one was in 1439, on this day, okay. <laughs> kissing was banned in England because of the plague. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, yes. They didn't want anyone kissing for the plague. No and kissing. this one actually is interesting because it taught me I did something I didn't know. Henry James. Mm-hmm. What does he make you think of? Um, two first names? <laughs> Do you know who that is? No. An author. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Of what? <laughs> so, of novels. I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised that you haven't. Henry James. <laughs> so, um, he wrote Portrait of a Lady... Nope. Not he, ringing any bells. He, he's mentioned in um, Notting Hill. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Cool. Anyway. This is the funny thing. So he, I guess on this day in 1915, he became a British citizen. But oh. the reason I thought that was interesting is because I had always thought he was British. Like he actually emigrated to Europe when he, like, way, way before that, and, like, wrote all his books as if he were British. Okay. Like, and then, apparently, he wasn't. He was born in America. <laughs> Got it. I do know his name. It was coming to me, but the only thing I know him from is The Turn of the Screw, because oh, it's been made okay. into an opera. Sorry. Uh, and yet, I still didn't really know it was him. Ha! Huh? Okay, well, anyway, I, I highly recommend him as an author, but, um... But yeah, I just was going to bring that up because today we are talking about authors, so... We are! Who goes first today? Who goes first today? Did I go first last time? Or did yeah. You? Yeah, so you go first. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. I am talking, we are talking authors, British authors, and for mine today, I wanted to talk about Mary Ann Evans, or as we know her by her pen name, George Eliot. Uh, Yeah. Such an interesting woman. I can't decide. Well, I'll talk about her life and then we'll have a discussion, you and I, if we, <laughs> what we think of her. I think she's interesting. That's, yeah, I haven't really picked a side either way. Um, Marianne Evans was born in New Newington, uh, England. She was the third child of Robert Evans and Chris Christiana Evans and the daughter of the local mill owner. <laughs> that was his job. Um, sometimes Mary Ann's name would just be shortened into Marion. And she had multiple siblings. Her father had been married before, so she also had some half-siblings. They worked on an estate, the Audrey Hall estate, for the Newgate family. And because of this relationship of working on this estate, she often would get the privilege I would think of going into the house and continuing kind of her education there we'll get into that um like that's like kind of the the story of like 
every old British person. It's like, oh, yeah. It's like, because we were so close to the nobility, that's why we got educated. Right? <laughs> it definitely makes me think of Downton Abbey times. Yeah. Um, yeah, just people that are close. But speaking of, and plug, Downton Abbey movie is coming out end of this year. That's true. So excited. It's going to be amazing. Going to be good. Okay. So she was born. It's the year is November of 1918. Life continues. She, uh, Marianne, is found to be an, a vigorous reader and super intelligent. Though her parents both decide that she's not physically beautiful. This is right here. Like the caveat like they, they of this. They told her that. They were yeah. like, yeah, you're really smart, but you are definitely not beautiful. You're smart, but not pretty. You know, like this is almost like the caveat of this whole story. It all centers, her life kind of centers on this moment is that somebody. That's why she picked a Ben's name uh, <laughs> as her pet name because she was like, you know, I'm not beautiful. I might as well be a that They just <laughs> decided like already at the age of six, they told her, you're not very pretty. So... They had already decided, probably because she's not pretty, she won't have a chance of marriage. She's Mm. six years old. Um, So they decided that they would make her smart instead. If you can't can't be pretty, you have to just become smart. I mean, I guess at least you've got options. I guess. I just can't believe it. (laughs) Anyway, so her father invested in her education that most women wouldn't have gotten. From ages five to nine, she boarded with her sister at Miss Latham's school. From nine to 13, she went to another school outside of town. And then from 13 to 16, she went to another school. Um, This is a lot more schooling than most women had. And she was taught by one of her, I would say, mentors that she really looked up to was a woman named Maria Lewis. And they corresponded through letters through most of her life. It was here that she was studying with Maria Lewis that she started to kind of mm, have doubts about religion and kind of trying to figure out her evangelist kind of her standard of it. Mm -hmm. So she had had this formal education but at 16 it was over she goes back to the estate to kind of help out her family but because they're still at the famous you know audrey hall she gets like allowance to go in there and use the library so she just continues to read and read and read where she falls in love with greek literature that's where a lot of her stories and things kind of lead and read like it's a greek tragedy Mm -hmm. so she gets better and better at kind of understanding literature but also becomes a bit more of a writer at this time it is now 1936 she's 16 her dad or her mom dies so she's acting as kind of the housekeeper she continues to correspond with that mentor maria lewis and she does this for five years continuing to read figuring herself out by the time she's 21 and her brother Isaac gets married and takes over the home. Her dad and her are kicked out and told to go live somewhere else. Wait, how does her brother take it over? Oh, because I guess it's I guess like- he like inherits it and he gets married and maybe because there's no mo- longer like a woman in the house. I don't know. Seems weird. Well, I mean, like I could see her getting kicked out. It seems weird that her dad. Nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So both her and her dad get kicked out and they move to Coventry. In Coventry, she starts to make friends with Charles and Cara Bray. 
Um, the Brays had come into quite a bit of money because he was a ribbon manufacturer. And it was the height of wearing your ribbons. But they were pretty radical and free-thinking people. Also had the same, like, what they were calling religious descenders, trying to figure out their evangelist... Evan... Evangelical? Evangelical? Evangelical. Thank you. I'm so like, <laughs> like, it's coming out. It'll come. Um, they had a whole bunch of people coming over. And one of them, they had a whole list of people that I was all like, I don't know who that is. But Emerson was on that list and I know that name. So they were always meeting. So she started moving kind of with these very radical, free-thinking people. Mm-hmm. And at this... Hate those people. Right? <laughs> Just here to stir up shit. Um, at this time, she makes friends with them. Uh, all these people. She she and the Brays decide they're going to go out to Switzerland. They go to Geneva. They're having a great time. At some point, she's now 30. And at some point, the Brays are like, okay, we're going home to England. She's all like, not me. I'm going to stay here for a good long time. So she ends up living uh, there for a year by herself. And... In- Switzerland? In Switzerland, in Geneva. She's 30. She's my age. She's trying to figure her shit out. She doesn't know where it's going. She's already been told you're not pretty. But I, she's super smart. I heard things are really nice in Switzerland. Yeah, I've heard Geneva's great. Very pretty. The U, the, the UN yeah. building is there. Probably not back then. <laughs> Probably not now. <laughs> then. But it was is now. Um, so she comes back to England the following year. It's 1850. She stays at the house of John Chapman, who starts to... He's already pretty political and a left-wing journalist. And he allows her to become an editor at his paper, the Westminster Review. Which, at this point, women writing wasn't very shocking. But definitely having a woman editor was kind of a huge what's going on kind yeah, of a moment. Like, the women are allowed to write, but a man must approve of that. Right? Everything. And now this is her kind of sitting at the top. So it was kind of seen as just quite unusual. Um, it's during this time that she like had a lot of unreciprocated unreciprocated emotional attachments mm. including one with Chapman who was married but lived with his mistress and his wife um so while she's being the editor kind of figuring these things out this is when she meets George Henry Lewis uh they meet in 1851 And by three years of kind of this crazy, odd kind of courtship, they start living together. Okay. Lewis is married. George is married. Though he's he's married to Agnes Jervis, and they have an open marriage. So they have three children already together, Agnes and George. He thinks. Right? Well, they have three together, but it is known that the fourth child isn't his, and that it's Thornton Hunt's, this other guy. (laughs) But everybody knows it, and everybody seems to be okay with it. So, by July of 1854, Lewis and Evans start traveling Germany together, and it is there that they start calling each other husband and wife. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Um, He's like, my other wife won't mind. Right? (laughs) I just don't get it. Um, So I guess this is like all she could think that she was good enough for. Like, 
because she's not pretty that or people have told her she's not pretty like i don't get it she's kind of the mistress but the thing is i guess it's this open marriage so the thing that makes this extremely odd is george lewis and and marianne they never make this a secret from the beginning it is out in the open and people think it's super weird but no one really says anything of it. Hmm. Um, Marianne Evans starts signing her name, Mary Ann Evans Lewis. Um, they start buying things together. They definitely, it was not unusual for people to have adulterous affairs in the Victorian age, but usually they weren't, they were kind of concealed and kind of kept as a little bit more of a secret. Yeah. Not just like, Hey, this, the whole thing was out. So as soon as this starts, she starts writing more of these realistic fictions realism set kind of in that greek tragedy kind of way because she's now lived on like most of her stories like adam Beatty. i haven't read that one but i have read middlemarch um are pretty much about her kind of life where you just kind of fit somewhere right in the middle but it has all tiers it's like here's the poor here's kind of the middle tier that kind of leeches a bit off of the top tier and then you have your top tier people and how they exchange how they interact and kind of what are the characteristics that make up Mm -hmm. these stories so she starts selling them into a newspaper the chapman guy kind of publishes them and she gets to be known pretty pretty well it is at this point that she picks up the name george elliott as a pen name, really from the standpoint of first, she didn't want to be kind of judged as a woman. Uh, not because it was a bad thing. There's plenty of women read, uh, writers right now. But she said that most, she did not care for women's writing of the time. She found that it was very romantic and kind of fictitious. And she wanted something real and kind of a bit dirty and gr- like gritty a little bit more to earth and what is yeah more expected not making up these romantic fantasies of what we all dream could happen oh we have a dog on the box she's trying to we have a dog she's trying to get over to kate to get pet she is i'll keep her over okay you stay there don't look over this microphone i will pet you later (laughs) um so they start writing the uh She's been writing some of these books, and they just grow in popularity. Pretty much after her first book is published, people figure out that she is George Eliot. Once again, she doesn't hide it. She And she says, I chose it because I just wanted it to be free of gender. She chose the name George because it was her lover's name, George. <laughs> and Eliot because, well, it was easy to say in the English language. <laughs> verbatim. It was easy to say. Okay, cool. So they go along. Life is swimming. Uh, but she writes her last novel, uh, Daniel Deronda, um, in 1876. And by this point, Lewis's health isn't doing great. He dies two years later. Uh, while she's in mourning over his loss of life, obviously, but the end of their quote marriage that was never a marriage um 
she kind of finishes up the last of his works and she finds a companion in John Walter Cross, who is the Scottish commission agent that was trying to work with, um, on Lewis's, mm, what happens after you die? Like people kind of look over your state, kind of your stuff. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. And so he's there to do that. He's 20 years younger for, than her. Wow. And yeah. And, his mom had also just died the year before. And he was like, I need a new mother. <sighs> so I need a new mom. <laughs> so get at me, Marianne. Um, and that's exactly what happened. She finally gets married to John um, in 1880. Because you're just looking for a new mother, you don't mind if they're ugly. Right? <laughs> no one cares. So they get married. Um, 1880. She's 60 years old. He's 40. Uh, or Yeah, she's 60. And here's the crazy thing. They're like married like just a couple days. They go to Venice on their honeymoon. And uh, while they're there, he has a fit of depression and tries to jump off a hotel balcony into the Grand Canal. You know, as we all do. Um, Normal honeymoon stuff. (laughs) Usually on the honeymoon, we all like to to jump into, yeah, yeah, into the river. Um, They say he was depressed, agitated, and losing lots of weight. He called a a doctor to their hotel room and was speaking to him when he jumped off the balcony and into the Grand uh, Grand Canal. He was rescued by a hotel worker and a personal gondolier that had taken them around the day before. Hmm. Um, So, yeah, obviously they think maybe he had had, um, his family had some history of mental illness yeah because that's not normal anyway but it didn't seem to matter anyway because just months after marianne dies uh <laughs> man first he buries his mom then he buries his second mom right. slash wife. <laughs> so mom wife um she died of some throat infection coupled also with kidney disease that she had kind of had for quite a while she's though considered one of the best authors of her time and also still considered um the greatest novelist in the english language i know which i don't get because people say that mostly well this is what i don't like she actually i think she only wrote like what like eight novels yeah like five or six not that many novels um, so they're really calling her the greatest novelist because of Middlemarch. Like, it's yeah. not necessarily her other novels. Like, most people, I feel like, haven't read her other novels. But also, I don't, like, love Middlemarch. Like, no. The, many people have said I don't it's, like, like the gre- greatest novel ever written. And I'm like, really? Eh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I think it's just because there's something so... It, now, it... If we're talking a book in the English language that can is so relatable to like an ancient Greek tragedy, something that mm-hmm. almost is honing off of that style, but with its own like modern twist into it, I totally agree. I mean, I think that is it takes a very creative and ingenious mind to create something like that. But ugh, middle March, yeah, I don't know. It's a bust, guys. If you don't know it, do a little synopsis read up. It's kind of a womp womp situation so yeah she dies but of course with that title and people loved her while she was alive which is a rarity most people don't love you when you're living just care for your stuff after you've passed 
Um, people kind of was hopeful that, well, expecting that she would be buried in Westminster Abbey in like Poet's Corner or something of that na- nature, but she's not because of her denial of the Christian faith, of faith and also her huge standing adulterous affair with Lewis. Yeah. And so she's buried in Highgate Cemetery um, next to her lover, George Henry Lewis. Not her husband, though. Um, and just a little bit away is Karl's Marks um, grave as well. And that is the life of Marianne Evans, or as we know her, George Elliot. There's a lot of like schools and hospitals and poetry and museums and galleries all named after her. People love her. But I just can't decide it all just to me it kind of penned or stemmed off the the fact that she wasn't pretty that like (laughs) this is why the life that like she led falling for this guy that was married the entire time never seemed to put up a fuss that they were married they they were married in their eyes all of their friends treated them though they were married it just seems so odd I guess so forward thinking, even past my ability in <laughs> the twenty <laughs> in the twenty first century. I'm just kind of going, oh, okay, okay, you do you. So funny enough. So I just like since we mentioned Middlemarch, I just googled like if there was like a BBC miniseries or something. If people haven't read it, which there are a couple BBC miniseries, but also in 2017. A modern adaptation of the novel called Middlemarch, the series... Oh, dear. ...aired on YouTube as a video blog. Oh, dear. So I feel like maybe we should watch that. <laughs> maybe I'll like it better than the book. Maybe. Um, there's also an opera called Middlemarch in Spring. Did oh. you know that? N- negative. It's, no. I mean, it's like a modern opera. It was in, written in 2015, so I oh. don't love I modern just, Yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> Middle Middlemarch, guys. Not, not my fave. Yeah, definitely not. So, so what are you talking about? That's that's my that's my girl, Evans George Elliot. I'm also talking about a woman named Mary. Who? Um, Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Okay. So, um, she was a very popular novelist in the Victorian era, and is known for her sensational novel, Lady Audley's Secret. Ooh, Have yeah. You, you know that or not? Yeah. Really? so now I don't know if I should talk about the novel or I'll just talk about her life a little bit so and then I'll go back so Mary Elizabeth Braddon was born in London and her mother so wait what year was she born yeah in 1835 in 1840 her mother left her father um yeah so she was she was the third child of theirs. Um, her she had a sister that was eleven years older, a brother that was six years older. Um, her mother left her father Henry because he was um, so uh, a drunkard. No, what's the abusive? Word? No, I mean a cheater. What am I oh. trying to say? Infidelities. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So yep. he was like, adulterous. Adulterous. Yes. <laughs> So that's why she left her. So it was like actually like pretty shocking, right? It's 1840. Yeah. People don't leave their husbands for that. Yeah. Um, and so it was like very unconventional. So she brought up the ch- brought up Mary alone. The other children were a little older, but yeah. Mary was like pretty much totally brought up alone by the, her single mother in Victorian England, which is just like crazy. Um, so 
Although, side note, she was born in 1835. She always told people she was born in 1837 because she wanted to seem younger than she was. <laughs> so, like, when she was, like, in her 30s and stuff. <laughs> no, Miriam, take that one up. Yeah, so she... Screaming this 80s baby. Born <laughs> in the 90s. <laughs> so she went to... She was given a really good education. She attended, you know, a couple different boarding schools and stuff. But when she was six, before she even started going to school, her godfather gave her a a gift of a writing desk and that's what made her interested in writing and like she started she writing. felt like she had to use it yeah. it's like your parents that buy you the tap shoes you have to at least do that one that one summer of tap class but she actually used the desk yeah so she <laughs> when she was a child she wrote a lot of like fairy tales that ended up with like something sensationally crazy happening which they say is like a precursor to her sensational novels later yeah. on um so, so yeah, after she's done with school, when she's 17, she decides that she wants to be an actress. So, she moves to Bath. I'm sure her parents at that time were thrilled about that. Well, her dad's out of the picture. Oh, good point. And Bye. she actually chose it because she felt like that was the only way she could make enough money to support her mother. So, I'm so, guessing she was pretty. I was just going to say that. She was not ugly like your Mary. My Mary is pretty. Actually... I've seen a photo. Aww. I don't think she's that pretty. But <laughs> Mary playing in dolls. <laughs> uh, so Aww. she acted for about eight years. She did pretty well. Um, but she her her like older siblings and her mom were like a little embarrassed, so she had to take a stage name of Mary Satan. Oh um, well, S E Y T O N. Yeah, not like Satan. No. Um so she had a stage name, and she acted for about eight years. She would travel around um, okay. all the provinces, as well as Scotland. Oh, puppy on the move. Puppy on the move. Come here. <laughs> so, so yeah, so she she started out being just like an extra, but she finally became a leading lady at the end of her career. Um, she really enjoyed it. She was able to support her mom and her family. Um, she did a lot of mostly comedies. Um, but she also did some burlesque, some Shakespeare, oh. just like everything. She, she did, did a little bit of all. Yeah. So. Live um, your life, Mary. That's the mic. <laughs> Piper, don't lick the mic. Don't lick the mic. Um, so the once she'd like become it. like a leading lady. Okay. She didn't really have to tour around anymore. Yeah, fair. And so she moved to London to launch her career there. So what she was hoping for was that, like, by moving to London, she'd be able to get, like, more prestigious roles and therefore more money. And probably, like, a sugar daddy, right? Like, that's a thing. Like, guys would want to take out the leading lady, but not, like, a chorus girl. Because they were seen as more refined, you know? You'd worked your way up through, and she must have a little bit more eloquence and a little bit more intelligence, so I'm sure. So, unfortunately... She went to London, but her, her her reviews on her debut were, like, not great. So it's like she was good enough to be a leading lady out in the country. In the country. But not in London. So, oh, unfortunately, like she kind of, <laughs> like, since she didn't really make it there, she was getting a little older. It kind of, she, like, had, like, lived out her lifespan as an actress. And so she decided that she was going to start writing. Because, Retire from yeah. the stage. <laughs> yeah, she retired from the stage to pursue a writing career. Um, so during her theatrical career, she met 
um, like a few guys. I don't know who these guys are actually, but anyway, they were like some literary guys, okay. and so they kind of became her mentors, and they would send her books and proofread her work. Um, and so, and one of the guys actually paid for her to write her first poetry collection. Um, and she actually published several poems while she was an actress under her stage name. Um, and so, so she like had kind of been working. She, she wrote her first novel and it wasn't really a great financial success, but it like helped her to kind of figure out the publishing world at that time and it was enough that then she could move back to London again to pursue writing. So once she began in London she be she decided to get another pseudonym not related to her like stage name and she began writing under the name of M. E. Braddon. So it's like just her initials. Right. Kind of like JK Rowling did. Yeah. Just to be like gender ambiguous. Um so it was at this time George Eliot. that she became famous for her novel Lady Audley's Secret. Which is actually it's a funny story. Um so the story itself is like I mean, I won't go into like the whole plot, but basically there's like a beautiful woman and it kind of was like flipping like Victorian society on its edge because nor because it's like this seemingly perfect woman but she turns out to be like a violent criminal who's a bigamist who murders her, who abandons her child right. and murders you know and so it was kind of like people at the time in Victorian England wanted like perfect at home moms yeah. not like murderous bigamist right. adulterer like so um so anyway so that's kind of like the story there's also like homosexual overtones which is like you know, Victorian yeah. England, um, not that great. So, so yeah, so it was like pretty out there. But it was funny because she actually started writing it. I mean, it's like it's like how Dickens novels are, where they're like serialized in a paper. Yeah. And so it became the the paper that she it was serialized in went bankrupt, and so like so she didn't. It's a real fin- big bummer. <laughs> I know, right? So she didn't finish the story, and she started writing for, and she started writing a different novel. Um, but then the, like, it was so popular that the public was like, we need this story to be finished. We need it to be finished. And yeah, so, I can see that. Yeah, so a different journal picked it up so that she would finish the story. Um, and so that's kind of like, yeah, like, that's why she was, like, so popular. So she wrote, from that point on in her life, she kind of became, like, like, the kind of writers we have now. Like, you know how, like, um... Like, John Grisham puts out, like, a novel a year. Mary yeah. Higgins Clark, a novel a year. Yeah. So that's what she did. She started writing two novels a year. She bought a large family home. Like, everything was great. So she, um, so Maxwell, John Maxwell, um, yeah. So she kind of has a similar story, I guess. John Maxwell is her, was, like, the editor of one of the, um, journals the journal that went bankrupt and she bummer (laughs) she like met him because of that and so she moves in with him in 1861 and becomes stepmother to his five children Mm. um his wife was it's a lot of kids (laughs) people said that his wife was living in an irish mental asylum oh she Uh, not even did yeah so it was like it's like fitting of her novels I know, right? I mean, like, I guess it's, like, a little bit better than what Yorberry was doing. Yeah, kind of. Because it's, like... Because, like, 
But is it? Because at least Agnes and George, they were all like, yeah, you do whatever. The, actually, this fourth kid, it's not even yours. It's this guy named Thornton's. You know, yeah, like, like they're they like, all both, all, everybody knew. You I know, think it was so wife is in a mental asylum. It's like, if, yeah. if it hadn't been that time period, he probably would have divorced her. True. I don't know. Yeah. But also during this time period, you, you don't even know if the person in the mental asylum is truly that mental. I mean, you went yeah. to the mental asylum if, like, you had bad menstrual cramps and you were kind of, like, PMSing hard. That's true. So, you don't know about this woman. I'm just saying. And maybe yeah. she's all, like, she was having a bad Wednesday. We've all been there. But, anyway. So, <laughs> so Mary. Okay, off So, his soapbox. first wife was also named Mary. But, Mary. Um, it's a very popular name. <laughs> has six children with Maxwell. Um, and they live together as common-law husband and wife. Wait, the actress turned... Our, our Mary has six kids? Yeah. What, how old is she at this point? Because she's already been on the stage for umpteen billion years. So you said like eight years? Nine years? Yeah, something of that so nature? Yeah, think. Written a handful of books. Uh, and then they, has six kids? I mean, so she's I guess like I was, 35. When she starts having them? Yeah. Wow. So like old she for starts that. pumping them out. that time. Yeah. But... Or I guess like but 30. doable, doable. Yeah, no, I guess she's like thirty when she starts having him until like thirty-five. Or okay, like. yeah. So it's like she was when she was young. She had her stage career. Yeah. Okay, got it. She, you know. So, um, so anyway, so, but there's like some controversy arising about it, about them like being common law. So he lies and tells all the newspapers that they did get married because nobody knows about his wife, right? Yeah. Um. But, unfortunately, his brother-in-law decides to write to all the papers to be like... This is like a Jane Eyre situation right here. To be like, just kidding. Uh, My sister's alive. This is a lie. He definitely didn't marry her. Um, She's just a crazy lady up in the attic, and she's about to burn down the house. So this is like a big scandal. But then it kind of dies down. So this is like 1864. This scandal is happening. It kind of dies down. Unfortunately, after it's died down... In 1874, 10 years later, his first wife really dies. Okay. Which then, um, like, kind of revives interest in the fact that they're not married. Because everyone's like, wait, what? Your wife wait, just died? Yeah. Like, we kind of thought she already died. So he, um, it's funny because he sends a letter to his brother-in-law being like, please don't, like, put a death announcement in the paper. Like, Aww. let's just let her pass quietly. And the brother-in-law's like, no, of course Front not. Page. Like, I'm announcing my sister's death everywhere. Dun, 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 dun. This yeah. just in. So, anyway, it's like, it was a whole big thing. And he, like, tells their, like, domestic staff at their house yeah. that they weren't really married because I guess the staff didn't know... Because well, yeah, because like back you, in this time, you don't time, work for someone if yeah. they're like not, you know. If Downton legit. Abbey has not taught us yeah. anything, it's all about people's honor. <laughs> so, anyway, they. Um, um, but as soon as they can, they go and get legally married. Okay. <laughs> and so then everything kind of quiets down. It, I don't know. It's just like it's just funny because it's like all this scandal, but then as soon as they're married. Like, it's like nothing ever happened. Like, their friends start coming over again. Like, everything's everything's fine. Um, Interesting. So then, at this point, Mary is, like, pretty successful. So she begins um, editing her own magazines. So okay. she has a monthly magazine about, um, like, house style, but also has some fiction. And I feel like all magazines back then had, like, some yeah. fiction. And then she has, like, a different annual Christmas fiction 
annual magazine that she puts out every Christmas that's like just Christmas fiction. Oh, which that's I think amazing. is like funny. It just makes me think of like how Chicken Soup for the Soul will have like yes. a, a Christmas book that comes out. <laughs> the Christmas out. one. Yeah. The teen book. Yeah. So for she the like Addicts Soul. <laughs> yeah. So she it was called so it was called the Mistletoe Bow. And yeah, so anyway, so she was like known for kind of having like a strong sense of business with her writing too, that she was like coming up with these ideas and doing these things. Um, But nothing was ever as popular as Lady Audley's Secret. Like, her Christmas fiction has nothing to do with like, not nearly as popular as the only one I know. Yeah. But I just remember it being very weird. I think it was one of those books that I started and didn't finish because I was like, this is just odd like everybody had something like but it's like very popular i mean the most recent like movie made from it was in 2000 you know so like it's and there was like a radio show about it in 2009 like so it's still remained very popular and now Um, it's on this podcast which is a number one top 10 podcast um so yeah so she Later in her later in her career, um, you know, newspapers started to be more popular. Fiction started being published like a weekly yeah. kind of thing and in the so, paper. Okay, so I don't know. So she just remained popular her whole life. Um, she she was like consistently moved around. She helped when World War One broke out. She helped hospital patients. Um, so she didn't die until. Um, 1915 um, from a gradual breaking of blood vessels in the brain which I think means a stroke hemorrhage hemorrhage, yeah Yeah, probably some kind of stroke yeah and so um, at the end of the century somebody wrote about her Miss Braddon is a part of England she has woven herself into it without her it would be different this is no mere fanciful conceit. She is in the encyclopedias. She ought to be in the dictionaries. <laughs> oh, that's so, such a cute quote. I wish I was elegant like that. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah. So she wrote in her life more than 80 novels. Wow. Yeah. Several, like she, I mean, like she really wrote everything. It was like, she also wrote like supernatural fiction, like, I'm you know, it. just like everything. So yeah. And then in addition to the 80 novels, she wrote like a lot of, poetry and whatever so that is mary elizabeth braddon popular that's amazing author and crazy life that's weirdly parallel to your mary's i know so i feel like this is you know how it's like rich dad poor dad like that famous book about like your fame like i feel like this is like pretty mary versus ugly mary ugly mary versus pretty mary you know like neither of them were married and i think that's my problem like i shouldn't have gotten married otherwise i'd be a famous novelist the unmarried marys yeah that's what this is (laughs) (laughs) well that that just blows me away because i can't like that when i was reading that i just you know about mine and now kind of Mm -hmm. listening about your mary just kind of interesting that we almost think Back in these like Victorian era that people were so prim and proper and that like oh my gosh the scandal of of X Y and Z you know but the thing is, is like even now I mean I find like I found that you know Mary Marianne Evans living with her husband quote 
you know, but for years, like for 20 years and them actually never being married. And the fact that he had another wife and kids the entire time, like that to me right now is like a scandal, you know? Yeah. Um, and here we are in 2019. I just think it's kind of funny that we think that like, oh, they were just so prim and proper back then. (laughs) Well, I mean, in some ways, like the fact that it was so shocking for my Mary's mom to leave her dad for cheating. Right? Well, that, the fact that she became like an actress that could turn into a novelist to actually get married, like that in itself, it's its own scandal. Scandalous Mary's. I love it. It's good. This was a dope episode. I'm proud of us. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) For both of us being in the middle of a move, I mean, literally... We're sitting hunched over Leah's uh, on Leah's couch with a box as a table. It's true. Um, that's about our, you know, both of our lives right now. So with that in mind, we're going to try to keep cranking out episodes in the middle of our move. Though, you know, once again, we'll have them out when they come out. We yeah. have a plan, but you never know when that plan will go to plan and that's when it true. will fall apart. So... But we're super stoked about everything that's going on. Good mm-hmm. luck with your move. And I'm sure all the foggy, foggies out there are also wishing to you make us a happy move. all feel better about our moves, leave us some reviews. Some reviews. <laughs> I want some emails, peeps. We miss you. I want some people saying some stuff on the Instagram. I mean, I'm asking for a lot now. But, I mean, this was quality product that you guys didn't have to pay for. <laughs> Pay for it with your reviews. Pay for it with contact. (laughs) All right, guys. Uh, We'll be back soon with more of the London Fog. I'm Kate. And I am Leah. That one's Leah. And uh, this was awesome. Okay. Cheers. Cheers.